Our most precious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your watching over us, your care. Lord, we thank you that we can know that when we go through these situations in life, whether it be surgery, whether it be the loss of a loved one, other difficult times, and even the great times, Lord, that we get to experience, you're there with us. And we thank you that we have a God that knows us personally, that cares about us, and is with us. So thank you, Lord, for all of that. Father, we pray that you'd be with us in a very special way in this service, that you would open our hearts and minds to your message and your scripture, that you would help us to hear you as you speak to each one of us. And then, Father, when the service is over and we leave this place, that you would speak to us on what you would have us to do. It is because of Jesus Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen. We are continuing in Isaiah. We've read these passages a couple of weeks ago, Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to read them again, and the very last verse, verse 7, is our key verse that we'll be talking about today. But starting in verse 1 of 53, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Tremendous prophecies about our Lord by the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus truly, when he was on the cross, after he had been beaten by the cat of nine tails and endured that, I have no doubt that he was enticing to look upon. If you've seen The Passion of the Christ that came out some years ago, that I think depicted so well the punishment he went through and what he endured on our behalf. We're continuing to look at the different roles of Jesus. We talk, talked about how he was silent. We talked about he was counted among the rebels or transgressors. Tonight we're talking about how he was the lamb that was led to slaughter. In that passage in verse 7, that focal verse, he was led like a lamb to slaughter is yet another prophecy of the Messiah 
And the prophecy is specifically related to how the Messiah would die. But that wasn't the first prophecy. There were many that came along. There were stories in the Bible that foreshadowed what he was going to go through. And one of those takes place in Genesis chapter 22. If I can take you back to a story you're familiar with, it's, it's about Abraham. Abraham was called out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees, lived in Haran with his father-in-law for a while when Terah, his father, died. He went on to the land of Canaan that God had called him to. God said, get up and go. So he got up and went. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what was going to happen when he went there. But God said, move. And Abraham moved. Abraham is considered the father of faith because he believed God when God told him something. One thing God told him, as recorded in Genesis 14, is you're going to have a son and that son is going to uh, to lead your seed to be uh, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And that was uh, a miracle at that time. Abraham was already 65 years old when God gave him that promise, uh, past the normal age of fathering a child. Uh, Sarah, as far as we know, was, was barren and unable to have a child, so it seemed impossible but God made that promise and Abraham believed Abraham went through doubts that's one thing wonderful about the Bible because it doesn't depict God's people as perfectly flawless never wavering in their faith never failing Abraham a couple of times tried to take matters in his own hands and very nearly and in some ways did thwart or not thwart but mess up God's plans complicated it but God stayed through, true to his word through the whole period. Some 35 years later, when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, they had a child, Isaac. And you can imagine the joy in the household. Finally, he had his son. Finally, he had his heir by his wife, Sarah. It had to be a wondrous time, a, a, a time of miracle. They were much past the age of childbearing, but here was their son. And I can imagine Abraham did those things with sons that dads do, showing him the ropes as he got older, showing him how to hunt and fish and take care of the sheep and the flocks, the herds. And then a day comes when God decides to test Abraham. He says, I want you to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him to me. The Bible doesn't give us all the details, but especially as parents and, and just as adults, we can imagine the shock on Abraham. And I, I can't imagine him having to go to Sarah and say, uh, Sarah, God said that I'm to take Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him. Uh, I, it's just the wailing that must have gone on, the weeping, but they believed God. And they continued in that path. And he took Isaac along with some workers and they got the sticks and they put them on the donkey and they headed off to Mount Moriah.
Isaac was about 12 about this time and he was smart enough to know something was awry. He knew they were going to do a sacrifice. They had the sticks they were putting on, but he saw no animal. And he asked his father, Abraham, where is the animal that we're going to sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide. Abraham didn't know how, but he trusted his God. And as God had told him that he would have an heir, had told him they would become a great nation. And later we, we learn, Paul teaches us that Abraham must have believed that God would give him another heir or resurrect Isaac from the grave. He didn't know the answer, but he knew what his God said to do, and he followed him. This is a tremendous insight of trust, Abraham's trust in God that God would provide. God had made a promise and he had seen God keep his promises. So he's trusting in that. And then the trust Isaac must have had in his father, Abraham, as Abraham bound him and laid him on the altar. And the thoughts that must have gone through Isaac's mind as Abraham raised up the knife to slay him before burning him on the altar. And thank goodness, Abraham was still listening when God said, stop Abraham. You know, he could have been stubborn, he could have been, and maybe you've been at this place. Nope, God, you said do this, I've gotta do it. You, you know, that's, that's something else speaking to me. That's something else telling me to stop. But he heard, he knew God's voice, and he stopped. And he looked over in the thicket, and he saw the ram. Let's read in chapter 22, starting at verse 9, this account. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What a great intervention by God. He wanted to see just the depth of Abraham's faith. And so he tested him in this, and Abraham proved true. But more than that is we're giving a picture of what was to come. That Abraham had this one and only son born to him that was to be given as a sacrifice, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. We have that a lamb, a male ram, a male lamb, a ram, was there in the thicket, God provided. Its horns had gotten it caught. And Abraham hurriedly went and got it and laid it on the altar and completed his sacrifice. A picture 
of Jesus being the sacrificial lamb on our behalf. So we have this great picture from that time. God had commanded his people to perform a blood sacrifice, and that was necessary because Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. God had cast them out of the garden. They lost fellowship with God. Up until that time, God would come walk in the garden with them. They would talk and sing, I guess, sing. I'm assuming that. But they would talk and just commune with God. But that changed because of Abraham's disobedience, death, spiritual death, entered our genes, as it were, our DNA, our makeup. We died spiritually at that time. And as unbelievers, we are dead to God. God says this over and over through His Scripture. We are unresponsive to Him, just as a, a person who has passed, if you're there in that funeral, they, they are unaware of the music going on. They're unaware of the preaching. They're unaware of the weeping because they have no more consciousness. Well, in our spirit that is dead to God, we are that way. We're unaware of the things of God going in our direction. But God in His mercy and grace quickens us, wakes us up just enough to where we can start hearing His voice, where we can hear Him call us to fellowship with Him again. And so all this happened because of Adam and Eve's fall. They were cast out of the garden, out of the presence of God. God demanded a blood sacrifice for man's sin to be covered. God was the Creator. Hebrews 9.22 teaches us without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. That seems... Barbarian to us, maybe it's, it seems a little crude, but you know, it's God's house, God's rules. He created all things. And that was the requirement for man to have fellowship with Him again. Blood had to be shed. Perfect blood had to be shed. And so God required this sacrifice, and that would cover the people's sins for a year. And the high priest would go in and they were to bring an unblemished animal. Again, a picture of Jesus Christ that was to come. And they would sacrifice that on the altar. And that would cover their sins, but it didn't eliminate them. That wasn't the purpose. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were not intended to take away man's sin. Nothing could take away the sin of man except a perfect man dying. Isaiah is another prophecy thousands of years later about the Lamb of Atonement being slaughtered, sacrificed for man's sin. Jesus would be that final sacrifice. They did them year after year. No mere man could be this sacrifice because the only way sin could be atoned for is for a perfect man, one without sin, completely righteous, never done anything wrong, would have to die for the people. And we all have a sin nature. From the time of Adam's fall, every one of us have an inclination 
to go against God, to disobey God, to go our own way, and we struggle with that today. And so we could never find that way to be redeemed because we could not be perfect. I can't even die for myself. I much less could I die for you because of the sin in my life. We were doomed. We had no way, no way out, no way to heaven because there was no way for a man or a woman to be sinless that could die for the people. And yet that was God's requirement. God has said this to us over and over again. The, the Apostle Paul in Romans 3.10 quoted Rome, uh, Isaiah when he said, there is none righteous, not even one. There's not a perfect person. And then 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we all are. And so that dooms us because we have to be perfect to have a relationship with God to get into heaven, but we can't be perfect because of our sin nature. So the only way that could be paid was a sinless person to come, but no human, like I said, man or woman, born of a man or woman could do that. But God has a way. God always has a way. And God did this by He Himself coming to earth to be that man. Jesus is God, and He came as a firstborn son, took on our flesh, started as a baby, grew up into a man. All that time, He never sinned. He taught us for a while. And then, as we observe here at Easter time, he was taken before the Pilate, before the judges, before the people, and condemned as a criminal to die on the cross. But how did this happen? Jesus was not born of a man and a woman. We have Mary, the mother, and Mary was confused. She said, I've never been with a man. Luke 1, 43, 34, excuse me. So she said, I, I, I can't be expecting a child. I've not, I've not been there. And the angel assured her. And then Joseph, when he found out his betrothed, they were just about to be married, betrothed, they were engaged, a little more than our engagement. When he found out, his fiancée, his betrothed, was with child. He thought about putting her away in his mind to save her the disgrace. I imagine he was thinking about himself a little bit. And the angel came to him and said, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is this combination of born of water and born of the Spirit. Born of woman, but conceived through the Holy Spirit. So he was God-man, God incarnate, come in the flesh. And as God in the flesh, he was able to live a life without any sin. The requirement God had 
for people, for someone to die for the others. What a glorious day with Jesus coming. And by believing on Jesus Christ, we can have that forgiveness and cleansing of our sin. And the result is being that our relationship with God is fully healed, fully restored, with nothing in between. And in fact, whenever we accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the one who died to pay for our sins, who atoned for us, who redeemed us, we then have God come and dwell us through this same Holy Spirit that conceived in Mary. And God is with us. We have the promise in 118 when we accept that, that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Great old hymn we used to sing. Our sins will be remembered no more. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. The Almighty God is able. We, we have a hard time forgetting stuff. We can remember things people did to us too many years ago. God says He forgets our sins and holds them against us no longer. And the forgetting there is, is less a function of memory and more a function of not holding it against us. Before we have received Christ's work, that sin is a, is a, is a, uh, is stands in the way of our relationship with God to where He can't look upon us, He can't be with us. And it's an ever-present reminder that we are unclean. But when we allow the truth of Jesus Christ to wash over our souls and we get that forgiveness, He makes us white as snow. He remembers our sins no more. He holds them against us no longer. And that is a great, wonderful truth that should cause us to shout, to sing twice as loud as we sing, and and to rejoice before the Lord because we can enter freely and fully into the Father's presence. And we can abide within Him with the person of the Holy Spirit in us. We have that communion. And because of that Holy Spirit, we have communion with each other. With the Holy Spirit in me and the Holy Spirit in you, we then have a spiritual connection. And when we pray, we have extra power through the Holy Spirit to pray for each other. We who once were laden with the chains of sin have had those chains released. We who were doomed to an eternity of separation from God now abide in Him here on earth and one day forever in heaven. We didn't purchase this redemption. We didn't and we can't earn it. And as highly as we may think of ourselves, He didn't do it just because He likes us. He did it from His mercy and grace because He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be able to walk with you figuratively in the garden. He wants to, to speak with you and to lead you and guide you and bless you. And He wants to, like, like 
a child talking to their parents. He wants to hear what's on your heart. We've had our grandson visit with us this weekend, and it's been a joy just to have him talk to us and share with us things that are on his mind. And you all can relate to that experience. That's what God wants. God didn't like being separated from you. So he did what was necessary to make that possible. Once again, against all odds, a man who was the final sacrificial lamb to atone for man's sin, just has been prophesied beginning in Genesis through Isaiah and culminated in the books of the gospel. Because the lamb was slain on our behalf, we have that remission of sin. Because Jesus died on our behalf, we are clean before God. So are you celebrating today? Have you received this gift of life from the Father above? It's a, it's a free gift waiting for you to receive it. You don't have to do. Matter of fact, you can't do anything on your own to get it. God's laying it there. You have but to believe that what Jesus said, what Jesus did is real and true. And the Father will come and enter. Christians, do we remember the great sacrifice on our behalf or have we become too jaded by the world, too jaded by time, too jaded by troubles to where we are in doubt now and we wonder? God's still true. He's still on His throne. The promises are still true. He didn't promise to take everything away and to make it all roses and rainbows. He promised to see us through with a supernatural strength on anything we face. So have we remembered that? Are we living the triumphant life with the power of the Holy Spirit working in you? When people see you out and about or see you reacting to circumstances, do they see something more than they have in dealing with the problems? Do they see you rejoicing even when there's trouble? Or do they hear the grumbling and complaints that all of us can do? If you do not know this forgiveness and salvation, today is the day of salvation. I invite you to hear these words today and know they apply to you. That they are meant for you. Yes, to every 50 people here and every other church, but more importantly, for you. For God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that if you believe in Him, you might have eternal life. That's real. That's true. And He wants to receive you today. And if you want to, I'll pray with you and we'll let the Father know that you received the Son as your Savior and that you're going to let Him be the Lord of your life. If you've made this decision, but you've not publicly followed through in baptism, then we invite you to come today and testify that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. If you've realized you need a church family to help you in your walk with God, to help you in learning, to just encourage you and bless you and pray for you, 
but you've never become a part of a local body, we invite you. We're not perfect. We're imperfect. We don't claim to be perfect. We put our pants on one leg at a time, as it said. But those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior have that Holy Spirit within us that helps us get up and face a new day and to be a help to others. So we invite you to come be a part of us. Our closing hymn is There's Room at the Cross for You and There Is. Millions have come over the ages and the old preacher used to say the ground's level at the cross. It doesn't matter who you are, we all stand at the same level before our God, a sinner in need of salvation, a sinner in need of redemption. And God's provided it. And especially at this time of year as we think about Easter, we think about His resurrection. It's a great day for that new life to take place within us, whether it's first-time salvation or just that rekindling of our love for God. Mark's going to come lead us in this great hymn. Christy's going to play. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions...